0: Blog Talk Radio. knew exactly what to do. Well, bless the Lord everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns with the word on Wednesday. How you doing, Brother Frank? Bless you, Bless you, my namesake. Well this is the word on Wednesday, and we are have been journeying through Second Samuel um, for, actually, we started in First Samuel and we are now in Second Samuel. And we have been studying this passage for the last, bless you, for the last, um, better than a year now, about 14 months, we have been looking at First uh, and Second Samuel. And as we come to a conclusion, let me take a few minutes just to, to, to map, just to have us go back over very, very briefly, like two minutes, what we have seen in our journey. We started out with a divided Israel. Uh, actually, we started in the period of judges where everybody was doing their own thing. And the only thing that they had in common was the, 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 that they had been delivered from Egypt. Uh, they'd all gone to their own lands. They'd all been doing their own things. Worship was, has not been centralized yet, but they had God with them. And because they didn't obey, they entered into this cycle, and the cycle looked something like this. They, God would bless them. They would go and marry themselves off to other gods or, and, and sin against him, break the covenant. And then after breaking the covenant, there was bondage. And after a period of bondage, the people would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer, deliver them, free them, uh, and then they'd start all over again. So it was that bondage-deliverance cycle. And they were in that, and they kept doing their own thing. We moved away from that period of division to a period where now we, we're un, they asked for a king because the, other, the, the people that were moving against them were unified. So they asked for a king to lead them in and out. Um, they got rid of the old priests who were not doing the, the things that they were supposed to do. Eli and his sons, who had corrupted worship. They fell in bondage with the Philistines for a while. Samuel comes along. We went through the period with Samuel. We showed all of the things that happens when you have godly leadership. They asked for a king. They got Saul. Saul was just what they asked for because they asked for a king like the other nations had. And God gave them a king of flesh a fleshly king, a king who all he was worried about was his own stuff and look and be. And from Saul we go to David, who is described as a man after God's own heart. Saul tried to destroy David, tried to kill David, but David eventually stays true. He, he ascends to the throne, unifies the nation, and is leading the nation until he falls into gross sin with that Sheba. And there, and over the last probably two month, two and a half months, we've looked at the consequences of his sin on the kingdom. We looked at what happened to his home, how the sword has never left that home, but how God gave that promise to David that there would always be someone from his lineage that sat on the throne. And we talked about how, hey, John, how you doing? And we talked about how. Uh, that how this the implications of this on the Messiah. So now what I want to do tonight is I want to begin to conclude what's happening because we see David has, he's withstood the, uh, the rebellion of Absalom, and now we're coming toward the end of David's life. And I explained last week that these passages, these final passages, are in no chronological order. But there are some important things. There's oftentimes when we get to the end of the book, we we don't see that um, we don't see the goody in it. We don't see that there's still more meat to be to be pried out. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to pry the last little bit out, and you're going to find out that this last little bit is most important to your lives. So we're at we're going. If you've got your Bibles around. Um, we're going to look at chapter 21, and our reading will start at verse 15. But before we begin to read, we're going to take care of two things really quick. First of all, let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name. God, how grateful we are to you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace. The Father, that we didn't have to show up with a lamb, or we don't have to show up with a goat or a cow or anything like that, there is no, ne- no necessity for the blood sacrifice for Jesus' sacrifice once and for all for us. And it's in him that we have redemption. It's him that tore down the veil. It's him that allows us to come into your presence right now. And so here we are, God. And we come seeking your face. We come seeking your word. We come seeking direction. Oh, Father, lead us tonight in this study. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive as you speak to us tonight. Father, I recognize that it's my voice, but we want to hear from you. And only you can speak into the deep places of our heart. So, God, help us tonight. This one is really important, really important and we see God. We see already what you that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or imagine. Help us in your word in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. The second thing I want to do real quick is I want to tell somebody out there who has never accepted the gift of God that your sins are forgiven and Jesus is the gift that God gives you because he satisfies God. He makes payment for your sin. He atones for you. He's your atonement. And that that word propitiation that you off, that you, you don't hear much, he is what propitiation is a fancy word for that which satisfies God. And God is satisfied with his son, and your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been paid for, and God gives you this gift, Jesus Christ, his son. And all you need to do is trust him. All you need to do is believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose on the third day. And if you can make the confession that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're willing to turn from your ways and turn to God and let him be your Lord and your Savior, God has saved you already. And literally, all you need to do is say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. I repent of my sins, and now, God, I want to follow you. End of conversation right there. And what do you need to do next? You need to find yourself a church, a pastor, a, a, a Christian friend, and just walk up to him and tell him, Look, I confessed, and I confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, and I asked him to be my Savior. Now I need to know what I need to do next. What do I do? And that Christian, that church, that pastor, whoever, you, whoever God sends you to, Because now God's in control and he's going to send you to somebody. Whoever God sends you to will begin to show you better the way of salvation. He will show you what he or she will show you what the next steps are for you. I, I pray in Jesus' name tonight that you do that. That you accept the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, I welcome you, my brother or my sister. And I welcome you to the family of God, and I am so happy, and not only am I happy, but the angels are rejoicing in heaven, and all your brothers and sisters all over the place are rejoicing also. Amen? Okay, so let's get at it tonight, because we've got some ground to cover. Um, I want to start at verse 15, and I've pretty much caught you up uh, with what, what what I gave you a quick overview of all the things that we've studied last week. We studied the fact that sin had to be dealt with again, and because an oath was broken, the, the oath, Saul broken oath that Joshua had made with with the Gibeonites who had deceived them. We went all the way back to those passages. We looked at how they how how they came into covenant with with the Israelites and how they were subjected to being just uh, water carriers and woodcutters for the temple, but Israel was not supposed to kill him. Saul killed him. And there was famine in the land because the land had been cursed because of that oath that was taken. Anytime there's murder in the land, anytime there's a murder that is not dealt with, anytime there's not atonement made for the murder under the law, the land was cursed. And so for three years, they were living under a curse, and David had inquired of the Lord, "What happened? What's going on, God? Three years of famine. We're supposed to be blessed, and what? Ha- and and the Lord told him, "It's because of that sin of the Gibeonites." So they they went to Saul's. Uh, the, the, they went to the Gibeonites and they asked, "What do you want us to do to make this right?" And and they they hung seven of Saul's kinfolk, and. Atonement was made for the land, and the rains came. And so what we deduced out of that last week is that when you make an oath, when you make a vow, you better keep it. You must keep your word. Uh, Too many times, you know, we think that our words don't mean anything. We make promises, and we make vows, and we don't keep our words, and then we wonder why things are going wrong because we cursed ourselves with our mouths. Okay, so let's look at verse 15. Let's look at verse 15, and let's get at it. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistines and killed him. I want to stop right there because there's a lot that is packed in there. Number, The first thing that I want to point out to you is that we have dealt with many of these Philistine wars before. And this we believe, is just more detail to when David and, 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 and Israel was fighting the Philistines. And we've covered off on some of these battles already. Again, this book is not in chronological order. And here is something that the, the narrator or the writer of this book is now uh, adding on and he's adding it on for a reason. And the reason is he's going to leave into some, some, of the, some, of, some of the exploits of David's mighty men. And we'll see that over in uh, chapter 23. But now the narrator takes the time to, to, to really, really uh, show what some of the men that followed David did... To, to assist or the men that God used to bring about the deliverance of Israel. And the first thing that we notice about this passage is that this guy was a descendant of the giants. Now I want us to just look at these giants for a second, so we can find out a little bit more about their origin. Because we dealt with one giant already, we dealt with Goliath of Gath. Remember uh, over in First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen, where we are, where we, and all this is this is one we all know, where where um, um, David fights Goliath with the five smooth, smooth stones when everybody is is fearful of Goliath, and David moves out by faith and with the promise of God for victory. Remember that? I know you do because we we learned that in Sunday school. But anyway, I won't go there, but instead where I want us to go is I want us to go to the origin of the giants, and I want you to turn in your Bibles very, very quickly over to Genesis chapter 6. And this is, a, this, is a very, um, this is a very tricky passage that we're going to look at. So you need to pay real close attention, and you're probably going to um, want to, to go back and, and read this and maybe do a little study on it, because there's a lot of opinions about this. Uh, Genesis chapter six verse one: "When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, of the land." and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, what I want you to see for two things here. Um, first of all, you see the sons of God. Now. There are some who believe that these are angels who began to who saw women on the earth, saw how fine they was, and went took on the form of man, and then began to to marry and have children with the uh, with women that's one theory about the sons of man. Another theory about the sons of man is that these were descendants of Seth who married the daughters of Cain. That's a second theory. Um, We lean towards, we lean towards angelic beings and and, 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 um, and human females. That's what we lean toward. But, and the only reason we lean toward that is because of a couple of pa- a passage in Jude and 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 a, a couple other New Testament passages that seem to support that. However, none support it so so um, uh, with such force that we can stand on it. That's the best we can get out of that. We know that is not. Because of the wording, and I don't want to go into a whole lot of Hebrew words and stuff that I barely understand myself, but because of the wording, we kind of move away from uh the daughters of Seth we can't, We move slightly away from that one, but we don't know for sure, okay, but anyway, what we do know for sure is this that in the pa in, in the bottom of that, it says they um when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, I'm looking at verse, the back half of verse 4. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Remember that part. Now, let's go to the Nephilim. The Nephilim eventually moved to be this uh, uh they eventually are associated with anak turn over the numbers uh thirteen I believe it is thirteen let's let's see yeah thirteen numbers thirteen um and it says let's look at about thirty three now here this is this is the spies in Israel, and again, I'm taking a little bit of extra time because. We're going to come back in chapter uh, chapter twenty three, and we're going to revisit these concepts again when we get into the mighty men. Okay, so um, it's a uh, th- now this passage that I just that I just that I just directed you toward. This is the passage that talk that speaks to the report of the spies. Now, uh, you're going to have to go back and read it if you, if you have, n- have never read that. But this is the report of the spies who are sent by Moses into the promised land to see what the promised land looks like. And they're giving their report back to Moses. And in verse 30 it says, uh, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, who come from the nephilim and we sing to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we sing to them so who are these nephilim the nephilim are giants the nephilim are big people the nephilim are are are, are the Goliath is a descendant of Anak, who is the descendant of the Nephilim, and that word Nephilim basically, refer, if you if you go to the etymology of the word, it means the fallen ones, those who were made to fall, those who were cast down. That's what the Nephilim. Me are. They are those big people, those big obstacles that challenge the faith of and of the individuals who were sent to bring back a good report of the land. They said, Tell me what you see. And instead of them telling what they saw, they told, them, told it in such a way that they were frightened that their faith failed them because they saw the Nephilim. They saw, catch this now, catch this, those who were designated to fall. The mighty men, stay with me now, saw those who were designated to fall, and they got afraid. Let that settle in for a few minutes. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has fell upon you. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to pronounce the fallen ones as fallen. Stay with me now. Verse 16. And Ishbinab, one of the descendants of the giants, one of the descendants of those who were designated to fall, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Stop for a second. Who are the Philistines? We talked about this before. The Philistines are known as the Sea People. The Philistines were had been displaced from from their land due to a volcano or some type of earthquake and they traveled from their land somewhere around Greece we think, an island off of some around Greece somewhere, they traveled from that land and settled on the coast in the coastal area of Israel's promised land. So they settled on the coast Of Canaan, they didn't inherit that land, that land was not designated for them, they came to take that land, and to take all of Israel's land, and they had been there a while, and God had told Israel to kick them out, God had told them to kick them out. God said, that's yours. Go back to the garden just for a second. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the land. You have to subdue it. You have to make it mine, D. You have to take control over it. I'm going somewhere. I'm just laying, I'm just laying some breadcrumbs right now. And by now, I've laid enough breadcrumbs where you can get some peanut butter mixed sandwich. Anyway, but Abishai, because, now what did he say? He thought to kill David. He purposed in his heart, I'm getting David. I am going to take David out. But Abishai, the son of Zerua, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. David, you are more important to us as commander, as king, as strategist, as intercessor, as the one who who interprets the word for us because the king had to know the word. Then you are out here fighting this giant, and we know you like to fight, and we know you can thump, but David, elevate. You've been elevated now. What does this mean to you? It means two things. First of all, mighty men and women have a responsibility to subdue giants. Now, a giant is either gonna make you run from him, and he's going to take your stuff and control you through fear or you are going to attack that giant by faith. Now what giants are we talking about? Well I don't know the name of your giant. This guy Ish what is his name? Ishbibanab? His name basically means he's going to sit in a high place. That's what that name means, sitting in a high place. So if you've got some spirit, somebody who manifests that spirit, who is sitting over you, you need to let that that person run you or you're going to run it. Now, now, and it's, it's important that you learn how to deal with your giants because if you don't learn how to deal with your giants then you can't do your secondary job. And what's your secondary job? Protecting your family. What's your secondary job? Protecting your church and your pastor, praying for them. Oh yeah, that's your job. When your pastor is being overtaken and overwhelmed because he's been targeted by that giant, by that spirit, and it could be any kind of giant. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see, it could be a spirit of lust that that often overtakes pastors. It could be a spirit of greed, uh, the lust for money, Overwhelms him because he gets to a point where he sees the budget, he sees the needs of his family, the desires of his heart for fame and fortune are overwhelmed by the temptations of Satan and Sometimes we just get drugged along with it, and other times, even as we are being drugged along and overwhelmed by the demands of that pastor who is being subdued by a giant, rather than fight for the pastor or fight for the family, we walk off and leave them. But Abishai doesn't do this. Abishai steps in and sees David about to be overwhelmed because he's been targeted by this giant, and Abishai steps up and says, oh, no, dog, it ain't going down that way. And I wonder how many of us pray for our pastors, pray for our husbands, pray for our wives as they are being targeted and attacked by giants. I wonder how many of us are bold enough and bad enough to go into battle and and attack the giant rather than sitting back playing defense or standing up on a hill someplace or turning our backs and running. I wonder how many got Abishai in them and turn around and say, oh, no, I'm a mighty man. I'm a mighty woman of God. And I'm, not talking about going out and and, and and all of a sudden beating folk up. No, I'm talking about becoming a prayer warrior, an intercessor. I, I ain't going to let you go, God, Tell you bless me. I got the power to command devils to get out of here. I have the power by God because God gave it to me to speak Speak to that thing, and it has to remove. I have the power of God in my life. I'm so full of the Holy Ghost that I can go and look at that demon that's bothering you, that's bending you over, and say to that demon, go out and be cast into yonder sea. Come out of him. How many of you know that God has given you the authority? Those of us who walk upright before Him, who obey His word, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and filling us, can walk up to a person and, on the command of God, because God told us we could do it and He tells us to do it, say to that devil, "Come out!" You leave that girl alone. Peace be still. In the name of Jesus. Oh, y'all ain't used to me like that, are you? <laughs> you ain't gotta go through no whole bunch of machinations and lay, uh, as they say, and slapping them with oil and making them line up in a hooby No, Jesus didn't go through all that. He would just say, Come out! Woman thou art loose. Take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. That's the power of God. That's how you deal with a giant. You speak those things that God has told you to speak. Mm. I know but but Pastor, now wait a minute, hold it. You are a a, a Bible believing fundamentalist, the word gathers it. That's what the word says. They tell you to know what the word says they do. I'm not telling you to do anything that Jesus didn't do, that the disciples didn't do. That's what the word says. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We either don't, we're either too scared and our, and our fear is overwhelming our faith, or we don't believe. We don't believe that God will do that through us. I dare you to try God on this. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Ooh, I'm, I'm slow tonight. Why is it important that you pray for your pastor? I just want to say this again. Why is it important that you pray for your wife, your husband, your leadership, your deacons, and, and uh, 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 um, all of the people that that are praying for you, that are leading you? Because if they are defeated, if they are defeated, It has an impact on the body of Christ. When something dies, when we don't attack the giant, when we don't fight and stand up for men and women of God, for our brothers and sisters. Can you, wait a minute, hold on. And and, and I know my audience. I know my audience is predominantly African-American. And I posted something earlier this afternoon. Remember when we used to jump in? Remember that? You know what I mean when I say jump in. Hey, Terry, when, when you saw your brother or your sister or one of your friends fighting, and you just, as they say, you didn't ask no questions. You didn't ask who started the fight. All you knew is that somebody that you were connected to was in a fight, and you bust through the crowd and came in swinging. You see, we used to instinctively take care of one another, and that instinct to fight is, is in us, and some kind of way in Christianity, we it has got bred out of us some kind of way, and we don't want to fight no more. We don't want to jump in. We just want to be, we just want to lay back and see, uh, well, I hope they do do all right. I'm going to pray for them. Oh, get out of here. You better get in there. You know what used to happen in my family? If one we had rule, one fight, all fight. And in your church, in the Bible it talks about how this thing uh, if it happens to one, it impacts everyone else, some per- and, look, and being black like we are. you know good and well when remember the, the DC sniper, how that guy was going around shooting everybody, and how we were sitting back kind of laughing. Because thinking to ourselves, well, I know one thing, he ain't black because, you know, black folk don't do no stuff like that. And remember how hurt our hearts were when we found out that the D.C. sniper was black? We were hurt simply because we were associated with that. But yet, our pastors can go down. Marriages can be broke up. Our sisters and brothers are sick. And we're saying, well, I'm just going to pray for them. No, you better jump in. We have to jump in. We have to fight these giants. We have to fight these devils that are coming at us through prayer. And we have to be passionate in our prayer. We have to, we, we have to be the ones that, that are down on our knees and say, you know what, God? I ain't letting go. I got a, I got a sister right now, Sheila uh, Kitchen Ruffin, who is over in Romania, and I promised tonight that we're going to pray for her. She's over in Romania right now fighting for Romanians on a missionary trip. I got, I got some other sisters and brothers that left out of Broadview Baptist, and they on missionary trips right now. And I'm praying for them. Why? Because if they in it, I'm in it. If they fighting on that front, I'm fighting on that front. There are pastors out there right now who are, who are weary, who are weary, who have been fighting forever and a day and they are scared, and, they, and, and, and their fear is overwhelming them, and the giant is about to take them down, and we're sitting back saying, criticizing the pastor and saying, the pastor ain't did this, and the pastor ain't did that. What did you do? You see him getting his head whooped. You get on your knees and you help him. Jump in. You are a mighty man. You are a mighty woman. And you can whip that thing that's coming after him. Oh, I'm, I'm getting wild at night. I got to calm down. Calm down, Winthrop. Let me finish. After this, there was again war. I'm at verse 18. With the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibikai, the Hushite, struck down Sap, who was one of the descendants of the giant. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jer-Origim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servant. Now, go back to 1 Samuel 17. Remember David had them five smooth stones? What do you think the other four was for? David knew that there was more than that Goliath had some brothers. David wasn't going in there, you know, just one and one and done. David was like, "You know what? if I'm going, I'm going all the way, I'm getting them all. That ought to be our attitude. We single out in this passage, this passage right here, four mighty men. There are mighty men and mighty uh women throughout the kingdom. I've got mighty men and mighty women in my direct family. I am a descendant of mighty men and women. You are mighty men and mighty women. You are descendant from mighty men and mighty women. You can fight. You can fight in prayer. You can fight in fasting. You can walk in the anointing that God has given you. You are mighty men of help. You are mighty women of prophecy. You are mighty prayer warriors. You are mighty men and women of faith. You have more faith than that of a mustard seed. And so you can say to any mountain, any giant, Be gone. Be cast into the sea. Get out of here. You have the authority given to you by God. You are full of the Holy Spirit. You have the power. But do you have the faith to use what God has given you? Or will you continue to watch that giant named HIV take out communities? Will you continue to to let that giant called cancer eat up bodies? Will you continue to let poverty reign throughout your life? Or will you take on those giants that take your land, that take your houses, that take your food, that take your children, that destroy your communities, that constantly invade and attack. I don't know about you, but I've been whooped one time too many. And if I'm going to die, ain't going to be no bullets in my gun. Ain't going to be no prayers left on my lips. I'm going to be all prayed out but I'm fighting. I'm going to be all praised out, but I'm fighting. My sword might be broke. My shield might be battered, but I ain't going down without a fight. That ought to be your, your attitude tonight. My pastors are not going down. My families are not going down. My friends are not going down. My brothers and sisters are not going down. The only one going down is the giant because God ordained him to fall. And I'm getting ready to put him in his anointing. He was anointed to fall. He got to go down. Hallelujah but I got a few minutes I want to I want to, I want I want you to I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. I want you to ask God, Lord, identify that giant. Show me how to fight him. It. Sometimes it's with a sword. By speaking the word. Sometimes it's through prayer. By changing the atmosphere. Through praise and prayer. Sometimes, as as they say, God will give you the strategy. God will give you, through the Holy Spirit, exactly what to do. And sometimes you can be so full of the Holy Spirit that all you got to do is walk by him and let your shadow hit him. As they say, walk by and let your shadow hit him real good. Or he walk up to you one day, that that giant, that demon walk up to you, and you take a handkerchief out your pocket and give it to him. Let him wipe his face with it real good. Next thing you know, that giant gone. That demon gone. That person healed. I don't know how God's going to do it, but God designated that demon to fall, that giant to fall, and he designated you to take him out. And you got to have a a take him out spirit, you know, playing with him. No, chop his head off. Amen. Chapter twenty two. I got time to, you know, as they say, since we've beaten up giants, we might as well shout a little bit. Chapter twenty two is, is interesting, and it's interesting because um as we read through it what you're going to notice is that this is Psalms eighteen. And it's a song, and, and it says this. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now we've we covered that off back in about oh I'm gonna say that's back around twelve or something like that. Yeah, this back around twelve, chapter twelve. We 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 covered off on that um, because it said that. God delivers him from all of his enemies. And again, I go back to the chronological thing. But here, he publishes his praise. And this, and I'm not going to get through the whole thing tonight. I'm just going to get through certain parts of it. But this is what we call a royal psalm of praise. This is the king singing praise to God. This is a, This is one of the long, I think it is actually, No, not the longest, but it's one of the longest psalms in the Psalter. And what it is is David, he praises God for deliverance. And I know that we just learned tonight about what to do with giants, that we can pray them out, we can praise them down, but we have the authority. We are designated as mighty men and women to go forth and get rid of the giants. David, uh, and, and tonight, what I want us to do in anticipation of what God has already declared in heaven, in anticipation of you aligning yourself with the will of God as pronounced from heaven, I want to just start the praise portion of it. I want you to begin tonight to just, as we just read this, to praise God along with David for the deliverance, for the complete deliverance that will be wrought in your life as your life is brought in line with what has already been decreed in heaven. Because giants don't rule you, and you ain't scared of nobody. And not only are you not scared of nobody, but you one of them jumping in people, That's right. You're going to get it. You're an intercessor. You're a fighter. When your family's in a fight, you you go by the, the Burns rule, one fight, all fight. And so even right now, as you're making your list of the fights that are going on in your family, and in my family, we've got fights against poverty. We've got fights against dementia. We've got fights against against schizophrenia. We've got fights against worry. We've got fights against depression. We've got a lot of fights in our family. There's a lot of giants that are attacking my family. And guess what? Man, I'm swinging left and right. And you As you make a list of the giants that are, t- are attacking your family, and not only uh, that, that, making that list, but going forth in prayer, going forth in battle, speaking those things that are not as though they were. As you are going forth, I want you to go forth also with your praise. Because here's David's praise right here. It says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. David basically describes the Lord as his Savior and his weaponry. It's almost as if he's looking at God and God's mighty arsenal that he has deployed to save. David, to protect David, to make sure that David is victorious. He says he's a shield. He says he's a rock. He says he's a fortress. That's that's my protection. Those are that the reason why the devil can't get at me is because God has me surrounded. God has me protected. I can war because I am in God's fortress. I'm safe. I call upon the Lord, verse 4, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I'm constantly in connection. I can call him and He saves me from my enemies. I'm not out here fighting on my own. It's not me. It's not my words that make the devil fall. All I am doing is repeating what God has told me. All I am doing is what God does through me. It ain't me, David, is saying. It's God. And so I can praise him for what he does. You see, that's the difference between us and the fatheads. A lot of folk get to the point where God is doing miraculous things to them, through them, and rather than say, that's God, they're all of a sudden walking around like they got the power and that they turn on the switch. No, this is what God will do through you. This is what God is doing for you, and that's why we bow before him in praise because we're praising him. Why? Because he did what he said he'd do, and then he did some more. He does what? Exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or imagine. God is blowing our minds every day and is waiting to blow all the hell off your head just to show himself strong on your behalf. That's why you can get in the fight. When you get in the fight, you know you're going to win. You ain't lose it at all. Mm-mm. No. And the devil got some tricks up his sleeve. And the devil going to get you hard. And the devil going to make you want to run. But you stand on your face and keep fighting and see what happens. In the end, we always win. Listen to what he says in verse 5. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheho entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. You see what I'm saying? This is David's testimony. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Now, this this going to get good right here. This is to get good. Listen, listen, listen. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called, from His temple He heard my voice. Stop right there. Let me, let me let me let me make it plain to you. Some of y'all are parents. Have you ever heard one of your children cry out for you? Have you ever heard one of your kids? You know, you in one room and they in another room, or you in the house and they outside, and all of a sudden you hear them scream, "Mama!" Or, Daddy, have you ever heard, have you ever witnessed that? What do you do? Oh, well, I don't care what you doing. You dropping and running. You finna go see about your child. That's what David is describing here. He says, "In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I call. From His temple, God was in the house. He heard my voice and my cry came to His ears." Daddy. Abba! Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quick because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on the cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channel of the seas was seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. God came a-running, and I mean he was tearing stuff up getting to there. Can you imagine what happens when God, he is the cries of one of his children. You think you'll be moving stuff out the way to get to your child? Here's David describing what God did when he cried out. Do you realize what God does when his children cry out? He comes see about us. And we can praise him for that. Because we know that he hears and answers prayer. Yeah, we're in a fight. And when we're down, what does the Bible say? Lo, I'm with you even until the end of the world. God has promised his ever-abiding presence. And he's there interceding for us. And he's there fighting with us, and he's there encouraging us in our fight, because sometimes when we're fighting them giants, all we need to hear God say is, get them, boy. Get them, girls. Flip her over. Flip her over. Keep praying. Keep going. You can do it. That's all we need, and God is there encouraging us. I want to stop now. I want to stop for the evening. I'm coming toward the end of my time. We'll pick up right where we left off next week, in praise, because praise is going to be the key to you taking that giant down. Prayer is a key to taking that giant down. The word is the key to you taking that giant down. You've got the keys to kill the giant. you got to use them. Or you can punk out and tell God he's lying And tell God, who calls you a mighty woman and a mighty man, that you ain't none of that. And tell him that he's lying to you, or you could stand up and be who you are. And go to war. Go to war. And win. And win. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you remind us that we are mighty men and women, that we are warriors that you have pronounced on those giants, that you have anointed them to fall, that their purpose in our lives is to get knocked down, to get took out, and that sometimes, God, we just have to go ahead on and do what we got to do. But not our friends, they don't mean us any good. They are your enemies. They're trying to take from us. They're trying to steal. They're trying to kill. They're trying to destroy. And that we can't make no friends with them. We've got to take them out. We have to subdue them. We have to rid the land of them. That's the purpose of kingdom, and you've told us how to do it. Oh, God, help us to walk in our anointing as mighty men and women. Do the miraculous before us even right now. There are some who've heard this lesson tonight, and they're going back and they're going to to, to fight. God, stand with them and give them victories. You know how you do it. You start them sometime with little stuff and then move them on up. God, help us to be so concerned with our brothers and our sisters that we don't walk away, that we don't run away when we see them in trouble but instead we jump in, that we intercede, that we become the prayer warriors. Help us, O God. Amen. Well, that does it for me tonight. I pray that you have been blessed by this passage. I pray that you will go back and that you will reread, that you will restudy, that you'll go back and look at Genesis 6, that you'll go back and look at Numbers uh, 13 and see uh, all of the things that undergird this teaching tonight. My prayer also is that you would begin to not just study the Word, but that you would do the Word, that you would do the Word. And until next Wednesday, I pray that you would be blessed in the Lord, And that you would fight, 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 and that you would win, win, win. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed and have a wonderful day.